Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Today, we're dedicating our program to an American icon and soldier statesman, retired United States Army General Colin Powell, who passed away sadly this morning at age 84. He served as America's 65th Secretary of State, its 12th Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and 16th National Security Advisor, the first African-American to hold all three jobs. He was a trailblazer in every respect, including in how he executed the role of chairman. A first order leader able to think strategically and blessed with political and interpersonal skills that were unmatched. He saw himself rightly as a pragmatic problem solver. A two-tour veteran of the Vietnam War, the experience shaped what has come to be known as the Powell Doctrine to determine whether and how the United States goes to war. Are America's vital interests at stake? And if so, assess costs and risks of a conflict, find ways of achieving objectives without resorting to force. But if you have to fight, define clear objectives and exit criteria, and once the shooting starts, use overwhelming force. His other was the pottery barn dictum. You break it, you own it. The approach was used in two wars on his watch, Panama and the first Gulf War as chairman. He was also instrumental in Afghanistan and Iraq, including appearing uh, before the United Nations in 2003 that he ultimately regretted. He opposed the Iraq war, but was part of an administration that had made it a priority. Joining us today to talk about Colin Powell and his lasting legacy and lessons for the future are three men who worked with him over the decades. Harlan Ullman, a retired Navy captain and Vietnam War veteran, uh, who was a very close personal friend of uh, Colin uh, Powell's. Uh, and uh, Harlan is also one of the principal authors of uh, the shock and awe strategy that has been so misinterpreted uh, over the years. Dr. Dove Zackheim, who served at the Pentagon in the Reagan and George W. Bush administrations, uh, working with uh, General Powell, as well as Secretary Powell, and Michael Baer, uh, former chairman of the Defense Business Board, as well as a former Deputy Commerce Secretary, uh, who advised uh, General Powell during uh, his tenures uh, on the Defense Science Board, as well as on the Army Science Board and other capacities. Uh, everybody, you have my uh, deepest sympathies, and thanks so very, very much for joining us. And before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. General Motors Defense <laughs> sponsors our coverage of technology. L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of joint all-domain command and control. Fincontieri Marinette Marine sponsors our naval coverage. And our recent coverage of the Association of the United States Army's annual conference and trade show was sponsored by Raphael USA. Harlan, I want to start with you because you two were close uh, personal friends. It's amazing that the man uh, actually had sort of six distinct careers, uh, right, as a soldier, then as national security advisor, then as chairman, then as secretary, uh, then as, uh, you know, trusted advisor who cast a very, very uh, long shadow over, over Washington and shaping events. And then, of course, through his philanthropic work, both at uh, CUNY, uh, the City University of New York, City College of New York, I should say, excuse me, uh, where there's the Powell Center. And then, of course, his charitable work as, as an inspiration in America's uh, promise. Walk us through, Harlan, what you think Colin Powell's lasting legacy is or will be. There are the three greatest generals in America's history are George Washington, George Marshall, and Colin Powell, in my judgment. 
and I hope that will be his legacy. Uh, Colin was possessed with an uncommon amount of common sense. And where he got it from, his parents, growing up in the Bronx, um, on what was called the Banana Street, because it was curved. Uh, Colin's humility and self-effacing uh, attitudes were remarkable. He said of himself, how could a kid, a black kid from the Bronx succeed when he couldn't even play basketball? Um, I hope he is remembered for his humility, his public service, all the institutions that you refer to. Colin wanted to serve his country every way that he possibly could. And that is perhaps his most remarkable achievement. Uh, as one of my closest friends, in fact, I spoke to him 10 days ago. Uh, it, is, it is a huge, huge loss. And I think we should talk about uh, the legacies that not only Colin has left, but some insights into his personality, which I think are really important in an era where politics are so vindictive and vicious that we need somebody like a Colin Powell who stood above politics, which may be his greatest legacy. Um, and and uh, we'll, we'll get into this with uh, personal stories, but for an extraordinary public man, he was also extraordinarily private. Absolutely. And in fact, virtually nobody knew he was in the hospital. The reason I knew he was in the hospital was because I sent him an email saying, can I pick you up to go to Shai Meyer's funeral last week? Uh, General Meyer was chief of staff of the Army, died a year ago, and the memorial service was being held at the Fort Meyer, not named after Shai. And so I didn't get a response. I called and Alma answered his personal phone and told me that Colin was in the hospital, that they both had come down with COVID, but Colin had been hospitalized. And at that stage, I knew things were not well because as you will know, Colin was not only suffering from bone cancer, uh, he also had Parkinson's. And I think if he had come down with a flu or pneumonia or anything, his immune system was such that he was not gonna tolerate any major assault on that. Um, which is a great tragedy, but unfortunately, those tragedies happen. Dove, I, I want to bring you in the uh, conversation. Obviously, uh, you you worked uh, with uh, General and Secretary Powell uh, in uh, when you were in the Reagan administration, and then again uh, when you were the uh, Pentagon Comptroller, and he was the Secretary uh, of State. When uh, tensions were were certainly crisp uh, between the Department of Defense and the and the and the State Department, um, what do you think? What what do you see as his lasting legacy? Well, first of all, uh, I subscribe to everything Harlan just said. Um, Colin uh, was uh, a real uh, gentleman. Uh, and his, his legacy, I think, in part was you could disagree, but disagree in a gentlemanly fashion. Uh, I, he was not the guy who antagonized the Pentagon, let me put it that way, during the Bush administration. And he he had a real feel for younger people. I say that because personally, when I first got to know him was when he was a two-star general and had replaced Carl Smith as Cap Weinberger's uh, senior military assistant. I was quite junior. I had been involved in the Falklands War. Weinberger kind of knew who I was, but not really. And Powell basically gave me his time. We flew up together to the Shamrock Summit that was with uh, Prime Minister Monroney and President Reagan. We were on a small plane. He could have ignored me. 
Instead, he spent the whole time regaling me with stories. And he had this very dry sense of humor, as, Har as Harlan certainly knows. Um, he, and this lasted with him because he saw himself as a true role model for African-Americans and young African-Americans, because the, the city college uh, school, the, the Powell School of Global Leadership, was meant to bring in minorities. And his other charitable work, the same thing. He saw the importance of having minorities not only feel that they were part of the country, but lead in the country. And his whole life was that. And so I think that is one of his major legacies that frankly has uh, sometimes been overlooked and sadly so. Uh, and we've uh, heard uh, from uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin saying uh, what, a, what a powerful role model and mentor uh, that General Powell was throughout uh, his uh, distinguished uh, military career. Obviously, uh, General, General Austin, uh, now Secretary Austin, the first African-American to hold uh, the, the job of uh, Defense Secretary. Michael, uh, give, me, give me some of your uh, insights uh, and, and maybe start off with some personal stories and then we can, we can go around the horn uh, on, on that uh, because he, he was truly um, you know, a man who managed to touch uh, everybody he, he came into contact with in a, in a very, very unique and lasting way. Well, first of all, Vago, I can't say strongly enough how much I agree with the very touching comments that Harlan and Dove have said about this great man. It's important today, it's, he's, he's been off the world stage a while, but if, we, but if I think back to the time when his, in his just absolute peak of his popularity and his effectiveness as a flag officer, as a four-star general, it's hard to imagine in today's world that this was a general who, when he arrived at training areas or in the, in the preparation areas for the first Gulf War, that the soldiers would surround him and many of them carried felt tip pens so he could sign their uniforms. It's just unimaginable the kind of, of influence that he had on the force and their just absolute deep care and love for him. And yet on the other hand, his approachability, his willingness to humble himself. So a story that I, I've told several times to some of you is that in that time, the peak of the Gulf War, um, I, I was attending the retirement ceremony for an army colonel who retired and became the United States property and fiscal officer for the District of Columbia National Guard. As such, that guy could stay on active duty till his late 60s, and he did, and retired. The going away party, his retirement party, surprise to all everybody, Colin Powell had found out about it and came to the party. <laughs> he, General Powell, had worked for this guy as a junior officer, and this guy was his commander. And he came with all the entourage and security appropriate for a man of that time. And when he arrived, he walked in to see Colonel Perkins and he, four-star General Powell, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, saluted Perkins first and said, sir, it's an honor to be here. Every one of us in that room were moved to our very core at seeing that, that witness of what a truly great man Powell was. So I think his legacy 
um, has to be put in context with just exactly how much influence and, and, uh, and the strength of character that he projected in those days. It was profound. Harlan, um, any uh, personal stories as well? I should point out, uh, Michael, you retired as a colonel in the United States Army. So uh, you, you've, got, you've got soldier uh, in, in you as well. Harlan, uh, you know, any, any personal stories in Dove uh, would, like to, would like to get a story or two from you as well? About 5,000, but uh, let me summarize. I first met Lieutenant Colonel Powell in the summer of 1975 when he was a student at the National War College in the class of great Americans, class of 76. Um, and it was clear then that Colin was going places. In those days, wives of the faculty, I was a very junior member, the youngest member of the faculty in their history, and they'll never repeat that mistake again. Um, wives were able to go to classes and as the school year started, my wife came back and said, there's a big black guy, good looking guy in the back of the class. When he's not sleeping, he's chewing gum. And I said, that's Colin Powell. And it was clear among his classmates that Colin was going to be destined for high office. And I remember the following year, there were some questions raised. It was Colin an equal opportunity guy. And it was a colonel in the class of 77 who was uh, the most extraordinary colonel in the US Army named Art Stang, who sadly died suddenly. But we were talking about this and Art said about Colin, he would have made it if he were green. And I think that was clear. If you go to page 207 about Colin's self-effacing humor, which sometimes was rather advanced, uh, when Colin and, my, Colin and my wife share the same birthday, April 5th. And when he was in the country, we would always get together with a few other people to celebrate that birthday. And for his 50th birthday, which was in 1987, Colin was Deputy National Security Advisor, then Lieutenant Colonel Powell, Lieutenant General Powell. And he was living at Fort McNair and we were invited to the birthday celebrations and all of Washington was there. Um, Vice President, Mrs. George Bush, Cap Weinberger, Frank Carlucci, who was the National Security Advisor. And when the birthday cake came out, it said on it, happy birthday, Colin and Julian, my wife. And Colin then summoned my wife to stand up. And Colin said quite boldly, and you can read about this in his book, My American Journey, page 207 to be exact. Colin said, you know, Julie and I first met here, oh, in 1975, Fort McNair, when we used to sleep together. And everybody really wasn't listening. And so Colin was grinning so you could see his molars and said, yeah, Julie and I used to sleep together. Barbara Bush dropped her glass. And Colin was a master in timing. He said, yes, Julie and I used to sleep together in her husband's classes. Uh, that was the kind of humor that Colin was able to project. And it was just very, very indicative of his own self sense of security. And the fact that uh, this was a guy who was very, very confident, but if he had an ego, it was invisible. He was self-deprecating, uh, he was kind, I went to a change of command in which he officiated as chairman in Norfolk uh, when, when Bud Edney was being relieved as the, as the sink. And I was sitting in his, uh, Colin's airplane and the whole cavalcade came and Colin got out of the car and shook the hands of every one of the motorcycle police who had escorted him. That was a small vignette in terms of the way that Colin Powell thought. He regarded everybody, everybody from private to general with the greatest dignity. And that's something that's sorely missing from American politics today. And I don't know whenever it will return. 
Um, uh, Dove, I want to bring you into the conversation because uh, you, I, and uh, Harlan are New Yorkers, as uh, uh, was uh, Secretary Powell. Uh, give us a little bit of uh, remembrance uh, sure. and also his extraordinary linguistic skills. Yeah, well, Colin Powell was the first chairman of the Joint Chiefs, first National Security Advisor, first Secretary of State who spoke Yiddish as his second language. And uh, he writes about some of this in his book. Not bad for, was, a Jama- for a Jamaican kid from New York, right? Not bad at all. He grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. He worked for a Jewish shoe salesman. He would tell hilarious stories about that. But one that I actually witnessed because I was part of. So we're at a reception and he's chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And there's a new Israeli attache. Uh, an admiral who comes up to me, whom I knew, and says, can you introduce me to Chairman Powell? And I said, of course. So I introduce him, and Powell says in Yiddish, I'll translate it, uh, how's a Jew doing? Now, that's a common Yiddish phrase. The thing was, the admiral did not know a word of Yiddish. And he looks at me and he says, can you tell me what he said? And Powell looks at me and he goes, is this guy really Jewish? And I didn't translate that for the admiral. I mean, Powell, and it was all dry. I mean, a dry sense of humor in in English is one thing, but to have a dry sense of humor in another language, that's pretty cool. Uh, But Colin Powell was pretty cool. And I think one of the things that we are missing uh, is the fact that you can be a Colin Powell, you can be a leader, you can be number one military person, But at the same time, you can laugh at yourself, as Harlan said, you can be down to earth and you can be a role model at the same time. And as we've all said, you can get along with those with whom you don't always agree, but you do it as a gentleman and you do it with respect for the other person that he embodied heart and soul. And uh, God, we need more of him not not having lost him. My uh, specific story about General, or I should say Secretary Powell's extraordinary memory uh, was that when he was chairman, I remember asking him uh, as chairman, you know, whether he was concerned that uh, the rapid pace of uh, defense consolidation was going to influence his sources of competitive supply uh, for the future. And I remember about 25 years later, he was Secretary of State at the time. And I said, hey, I, I don't know if you recall my first question to you years ago. And he said, yes, you know, I remember you were uh, working uh, for the Army Times Company, and you asked me this question about defense consolidation. And I was completely floored at the extraordinary uh, memory uh, that he had. Uh, and, you know, as I was, was, you know, standing there sort of stunned, and he goes, huh? Huh? Pretty good, right? I said, my God, that's extraordinary. And he said, and you know, the most extraordinary thing about this is you don't even remember what question you were going to ask me when you came up to me. And I said, I said, nah, I still remember the question. He was like, God damn it. You know, it was it was very, very funny uh, moment. What we what we can learn from Colin Powell uh, at this extraordinary time in American national security, his sort of practical, pragmatic uh, out uh, approach uh, to problem solving. And one of the things that I think is extraordinary is that he began his career in counterinsurgency 
Uh, right, he, he became, he was steeped in great power in the late 1950s, but he was in Vietnam in 1962. He came back in 1968 when the war was significantly hotter. Harlan, I think you were there uh, as a swift boat captain at the time. And then went back into great power, uh, right? Well, continued in sort of counterinsurgency in Vietnam and his various other staff jobs uh, in, in Washington. Then he went back into a great power mindset. Then he went back into a counterinsurgency mindset because of Iraq and Afghanistan. Then started pivoting back to a strategic role and how to prepare from, for, for China. What are, what are the elements of his personality and approach? And I want to get everybody's take on this is is what we should be remembering as we try to make some very, very difficult decisions and prepare the nation for its next great challenge. So, Vago, I think my experience has taught me that most military officers are pretty set early on in their cultural biases and their worldviews. And, and what is unique, I think, about Colin Powell and the generation of officers that included guys like Harlan and myself and Dove as a, as a very deeply involved policy civilian during this time frame, is that we were all seared by our, our experiences in and around the war in Vietnam. And Colin came back like many of us out of that left service or stayed in and realized, spent a lot of time thinking about the fact and the realization that we didn't have it right. We had it bad wrong for a long time. And that bad wrong was both policy as well as leadership. And that imbued in many men of that era, a constant snagging sense that do I have it right? And the need to always tune to the moment. And, and I think that, that there's great lessons in that critical phase of General Powell's young officership when he came back and spent that time thinking about how to take an army and move it into the 21st century. And that experience is an experience that I hope translates to lots of young officers and policy types that are thinking about the experience over the last 20 years in counterterrorism and the failures that we had both in leadership as well as policy ambitions. So I think there are great lessons from this man's life. And I particularly take lessons to heart from the one of the earliest phases of his life. There's many lessons in the later, and I'll turn those over to, to, to Dove and to Harlan to talk about. But I don't think we should take lightly the, that really forging experience that he had in those days. Over. Um, um, Harlan, I want to uh, come to you next, but just to build on what Michael had said, right? In, in Washington, we talk about policy papers uh, and constant reorganizations, and we need more people. And what I always thought was interesting when you would talk to him about a problem, and he'd say, look, this isn't about organizations or a reorganization or another policy paper. It's about leadership. And that's what he would always talk about is, you know, our, our answer to everything is reorganize and throw more people at it. You don't have to do that. You're right. It's what are you trying to solve 
and and what kind of leadership can you people call it management brad graham had a great story in the washington post and and he talked about management but i think that that it's a disservice to colin powell to call him a manager he was a leader um give it give us your sense uh harlan on, on what you think the the important attributes uh, are that we should be bearing in mind and, and some lessons from how he approached problems that you think uh, are, are, are best remembered um, as, as we go into the, in this great power phase. And, and Dove would love your sense as well. Go ahead, Harlan. First, when I was running a defense company and I had a real problem, I'd go to Colin. Colin instinctively was a military genius. And where he got it from, ROTC at CCNY when he was a uh, geography major, I have no idea, but it was instinctive. It was rather geology, geology major, geology major. I mean, it was instinctive uh, as Mozart or Beethoven or one of the greats. Second, one of his most searing experiences, come back from Vietnam, he was visiting his mother in the Bronx and went down to Atlanta to see Alma. They weren't yet married and he couldn't stop. He had to go all the way because there was no facility for a black man and how he ingested that without any sort of vindictive notion, I think was very much a telling point in how Colin viewed race and how it could work out. It was extraordinary because he writes about that and had talked about that. Third, uh, quite frankly, I mean, Colin and I have discussed this, discussed this a great deal. Colin quite frankly thought that this great competition uh, relationship with China and Russia was nonsensical. He just thought it was ridiculous. He was arguing that China and Russia are not going to get into a war with us. You know, they've got great weaknesses. And unfortunately, he was very, very frustrated in not being able to get that point across. And he and I, unfortunately, or fortunately, agreed. Uh, I go back to my point that Colin had uncommon amounts of common sense. And as I said, whether he got it from his parents or not, he would look at a situation and he would just take it down to the basic essentials and then use common sense in his own intellect to make a judgment. The other thing that, that Colin has, which we've not mentioned, he was probably the most articulate person I ever met and that he could put in a few words, simply a statement that a private or an American who was not versed well in defense would understand. His power to articulate was quite extraordinary and I think it's been underestimated. Remember before the Gulf War started, he was asked, what is his strategy to deal with Saddam Hussein and his army? And Colin said, I'm gonna cut it off and kill it. You could have not been more direct. Right. And so his ability to articulate in very simple but understandable English is one of his legacies, which will be, I'm afraid forgotten, but it was probably one of his strongest points because he could make his case that everybody understood and he was able to put it in the language with whomever he might be speaking, whether it was a prime minister of a foreign country or whether it was a private in the field. And this was a remarkable skill set that he had acquired. And again, it must have come from God. Duff? You hinted at this before. I mean, he had the ability to look ahead as opposed to look backward. Um, he could have been stuck in the CT counter uh, counterinsurgency syndrome that Vietnam was. But he didn't look that way. He was involved uh, with President Reagan in uh, moving ahead toward the end of the Cold War. Uh, yet uh, he had a very clear notion of the size of the military. He came up with what was called the base force. He, he could, as Harlan said, 
put things very pithily, but he was a television superstar. And I suspect that one of the reasons there was so much support for uh, the, uh, the, the Iraq war at the time, and remember, there was still this, what was called the Vietnam syndrome. Military folks were not looked upon very highly in those days. Um, and he turned it around because people saw him on television and thought, oh my God, this is really different. And that's why we had all the parades and all the rest of it after that particular war. And then he has the instinct, which unfortunately the uh, George W. Bush administration didn't follow, which was, you know, hold on, maybe we shouldn't be doing this in Iraq. And we all know, of course, now with 2020 hindsight, that had we not gone into Iraq, we might not have had the issues in Afghanistan that we've had. It was his gut instinct. And it's sad that he wasn't listened to and even sadder quite frankly, that too many people remember him for that United Nations speech and not for all the terrific things he did prior to that speech and subsequent to that speech. And I hope very much that the various, whether it's this program or the articles that are being written and, and the, the, uh, the, the memories that people have will show him for what he was, which was a truly great American and a truly great human being. Um, I uh, couldn't agree with uh, more with uh, that uh, sentiment of uh, and I want to go back to uh, Harlan and I'm, I'll give you guys a chance. We have a couple of more a couple of minutes left. But Harlan, um, I know that you both have talked about the lessons learned, the lessons learned. You know, uh, uh, Secretary Powell had said that one of the most painful things in his life uh, was uh, that United Nations speech and that he would be judged uh, for that. Uh, ultimately. But he also looked very closely at the lessons learned, not just from that experience, but also from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I know that you've, uh, you two have discussed that. And indeed, you've uh, devoted a number of books uh, to the topic uh, on why things went wrong in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. From his standpoint, what were the lessons learned uh, from those three critical episodes? Um, sadly, the lesson learned was that we don't learn our lessons and that we continue to repeat making critical mistakes. I mean, Colin's criticism of the current strategy is an example. As I said, he was very much opposed to making Russia and China enemies. Um, I go back to this uncommon amount of common sense. Uh, it had to be God-given. Uh, he would look at a problem with extreme rationality and, and a sense of dignity and be very, very, very respectful. And you can't teach that. I know he was a student of mine at the National War College for a year. Uh, you cannot teach that. And it's the mark of greatness that some people have it. I would also note, and this is an aside, if you look at Colin's decorations, his most senior decoration, aside from Purple Heart, is the Soldier's Medal, which people may not know is equivalent to the Silver Star. And Colin got that for saving his general's life when their helicopter crashed uh, for whatever reasons in Vietnam and Colin pulled the general out of the fire, which is really indicative because his most heroic act was not in killing the enemy, but rather in saving the life of his commanding officer. And I think that's very instructive, the kind of general and soldier Colin Powell was. He was magnificent. And, and just uh, very, very briefly, uh, Harlan, um, you, you know, you, you made clear uh, Secretary Powell's concern that we're turning China and Russia into enemies. Actually, domestic extremism and what and and po political polarization 
for him as for you, and I believe for all of us uh, on this call, were actually the singular and most dangerous threat for him, wasn't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. And the interesting question is whether the military is capable of attracting and then promoting a future Colin Powell. And I think that's a great challenge that you ought to ask Lloyd Austin, who claims Powell was a mentor, as to what he's going to do to make sure in the future that we can find Colin Powell, which is very, very difficult, but we can make sure the military is prepared to look after and promote to the right levels people with that quality, irrespective of their color. What, one question which I do have to ask, um, uh, Harlan, I know that you were involved in uh, his decision-making not to run uh, for president. The family was very divided whether or not he should run for president. There is every expectation that had he run, uh, he likely would have won uh, in uh, 1996. Would he have made a good president? I think he would have set the country on a course in which we would have been far less partisan and far less divided because he would have realized he was president of all the United States and not just the Republicans who elected him. And that sense of balance and personality and his sense of leadership, I think would be dramatic. And I think he could have been potentially a really great president, especially in 1996, when everything was on our side. Uh, the Soviet Union had collapsed, we had one desert storm, the economy was getting better. Uh, it could have made the country fundamentally different. And quite frankly, if he had been president, I don't think Donald Trump would have had a chance in hell of ever running. Devin Michael? Well, I, I would say, first of all, if he were elected in 96, he would have been reelected in 2000. Um, and who knows how that would have played out, although I was in George W. Bush's uh, advisory team and then part of his administration. But he was the fact that a man like that, who had been a lifelong Republican, could support Barack Obama and and. Uh, and then um, it, uh, again, I think he's and Hillary Clinton tells you that he cared about the country and it reflected in everything he did. Had he been president, I think he would have been one of the great ones. And I, a, a brief, brief anecdote. When I saw him in 96 and the rumor mill was going around that, you know, it was being considered or at least people wanted him to be president. I said to him, if you run I want to be on your campaign, even if it means I have to be janitor. And there were an awful lot of people who would have given their right arms for Colin Powell to run for president. Michael? Well, I'm one of those that would have taken an arm off as well, would have left the political organizations and the body politic in an entirely different both state of mind, as well as a, a role, the role of who was involved. He would have changed, he would have brought up the very best. He would, have, he would have really left much more of a sustained impact than just the eight years he would have had as president. We would still be talking about him as president had he been, even today. It just uh, very quickly to uh, Dove uh, and, and to Michael as, as we r wrap up, last thoughts, and, and Harlan, you, you get the last word. Go ahead, uh, Dove and Michael. Well, I, I think we, we've said it. Um, he is a man who, frankly, is not as appreciated as he should be. He is a man who uh, was not. He was a Republican who voted for Barack Obama. He would whatever and Hillary you think Clinton and Hillary, and Hillary Clinton. Clinton, because his basic uh, lodestar was what did he believe was best for the country? Um, 
You might agree, you might disagree, but he, that's how he behaved. He did not lock himself into partisan politics in that sense. Uh, he was above it, uh, as he was above so many other things. And I think that's how we need to remember him. And frankly, as a role model, uh, I'll repeat this again for the young African-Americans, you couldn't have a better role model than Colin Powell. Michael? Uh, Vago, I think he's a role model for far more than young African-Americans. He's a great role model for some of our four-star generals and, this, and admirals in this era. He's certainly a role model for politicians. He's a role model for civil servants. He's a role model as a father and as a son. He's it is a tremendous loss to the country, and we won't see another one like him for a long, long time, I fear. Harlan? Um, I think that uh, Dove and Michael have said everything that needs to be said. Uh, this is a huge loss. I fear it will not be sufficiently appreciated because Colin Powell was somebody who represented uh, bipartisanship, American patriotism, to the, finest, to the finest degree. And in a country that's so deeply divided, it's gonna be very, very difficult for anybody to be able to ascertain that same position of being an American first. And I only hope that Colin's memory is not besmirched by other issues. And I hope that we will be able to preserve that in some way, shape or form in terms of a Colin Powell Memorial. And I only hope that President Joe Biden takes the lead, because I think that would be one way of putting the country back together again, because on the left or the right, Republicans or Democrats, I think virtually most Americans or all Americans have got great respect for Colin, and some sort of a memorial uh, may be very, very worthy, and I think may be a significant symbol of a sense of partisan, of, of, of non-partisanship that this country sorely needs. And, let, and, me and, let me, let me interject ahead, with one, one thought. Uh, there's a saying that we use, and I think it applies to this man. May his memory be for a blessing for us all. Uh, indeed. Very eloquently uh, said, uh, Dove. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for uh, spending time with us to remember uh, a great American. Our deepest condolences uh, go out to uh, the Powell family, to Alma Powell uh, and the children and, and grandchildren. We will mourn his loss, uh, but we will remember his memory, uh, and Dove couldn't, couldn't have said it any finer.